thanks to Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and this week I'm flying solo. It is Easter school holidays, and my regular colleague and co-host and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum, is touring the breweries of Tasmania with his uh, family. And uh, if you follow him on social media, you will be seeing some of the great venues that he's been visiting. And he's also doing a few recordings, uh, recording a few interviews with some of the people down there that will be able to play in upcoming issues or editions of Radio Brews News. But he's just not contactable. So uh, we don't have a full show for you today. But as part of our uh, visit to the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, or IBD, conference uh, recently in Sydney. Not only did we catch up with Charlie Bamforth, I also caught up with Sandy Ross from Hopco. Uh, Hopco is one of the uh, businesses supplying hops to the Australian craft brewing industry. Uh, You might have seen their name recently when they partnered with Pirate Life to bring out a special Hopco beer. Um, Sandy and his dad, John, have been around the industry for quite some time. Uh, John was actually a hop grower, and I was having a bit of a chat to him in between sessions, and uh, I thought that it was a fascinating story, so I whipped out the uh, tape recorder and just grabbed a bit of a uh, chat with uh, Sandy, a, a little bit about uh, Hopco and what growing up in the hop industry and having a business that's been going since around about the 2000 period um, and the changes that they've seen for hops. So I thought it was an interesting little chat that might be a night rather than put nothing out this week while Pete's away. Um, I thought we might uh, run that this week, just as a little bit of an interlude. But it's a, it's a great chat with a really interesting guy who uh, whose own career has traced some of the change that we've seen in the Australian beer industry. So we won't do too much preamble. Um, we'll just uh, pretty much go straight into the interview with me talking to Sandy Ross. Sandy Ross, welcome to Radio Brews News. Thank you, Matt. Mate... Tell us, you're, you're from Hopco, which is one of the uh, Tasmanian-based uh, hop suppliers to the uh, Australian craft beer industry. Tell us a little bit about Hopco where, and where you came from, where you guys came from. Well, Hopco was founded in the year 2000 uh, by my father and I, John Ross, um, and uh, we, we were part of Hop Union. So Hop Union Australia came aboard on, oh, was it around 1986? Um, and so there was a hop union Germany, there was a hop union USA, um, several other offices around the world. And at that stage, um, around sort of 1999, um, the Bath Haas Group bought the hop union group. Um, so what was hop union? Was it a collection of uh, hop growers? Was it a you know, was it a collective enterprise for growing and marketing hops? Um, Hop Union was owned by the uh, the Riser family from Germany, and um, they had big stakes in each of the, uh, the the companies within those countries. Like they owned half of um, the, uh, the the English company uh, English Hop Products, which became Botanics. Um, I believe they they owned most of Hop Union USA. They owned the entire company Hop Union Australia. It was you know, a certain percentage, if not all of it. And um, around that time uh, in, in 99, I think they had around about 12% of the, uh, the hop market share within the world. And uh, Bath Haas was somewhere around uh, sort of high 20s. So when they combined the two, it was, it was quite a large company. Um, something like 40, 45% of the, the total hop market um, went through that one company. So um, at that stage when the buyout took place, um, Bath House already had Hot Products Australia. 
so there was no need for 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 the Ross family basically um, I mean I started in 98 so I'd been working with Hop Union for a couple of years then all of a sudden um, you know it was sold out sort of from underneath us look we talked to the guys at, at HPA and uh, it was decided we would buy the stock uh, we'd become our own private company uh, we named it Hopco and um, we would concentrate on craft beer and uh, HPA would concentrate on the, the majors. Um, now, craft beer, like you, you, going back to 2000, when you talk about craft beer, craft beer wasn't even called craft beer in those days, was it? And it, it, it really wasn't what we considered now to be an industry. Well, that's right. At, at that stage, there was probably maybe 20 or 30 um, what we'd call the small brewers. Um, and, but there was also a lot of home brew shops. So home brewing was starting to take off. We could see the potential in the, uh, the, the small breweries. Um, Hopco, we were the, the first guys um, sort of in the mid-90s to start um, importing five kilo boxes of hops. Up until that stage, everything was designed for the major brewery. So they'd buy 20 kilo boxes or even larger boxes. And um, so uh, we, we did the five kilo packs. and. Um, I think uh, in the first year we we did something like somewhere around three or four thousand kilos of hops. Big deal. It, w it wasn't much. Um, we had some some good deals going with um, with the Cooper's Brewery for some extract as well, um, and and a few other little things that we uh, we did made it profitable even in the first year. And um, and then. Every year after that, we just saw more and more small breweries coming onto the scene. Um, and, and over the years, I think um, we've probably only seen, we, we might have seen maybe five or six sort of closed down, maybe a few more, but uh, with 330 or something breweries now in Australia, it's, um, and you know, not every one of those is going to be making money, but it's a fairly exciting time for, for brewing in Australia. And um, there's some great beers out there. And we're seeing the, the quality and the um, the consistency of those beers improve every year. So, whereabouts do you get your hops from? I, I believe that your dad, John, um, who used to work for Hop Union, was once a hop grower. He was. Um, he um, oh, we were. It was 1975. Uh, dad was farming sheep and cattle. Decided to go for this job that was in one of the uh, agricultural gazettes or something like that, and uh, it was uh, for. Uh, uh, hop farming in Tasmania, and so Dad was actually employed as the uh, the uh, well, the manager of uh, of all the uh, hop farms that were owned at that stage by elders, and that particular company became Australian Hop Marketers, which in turn became Hop Products Australia. They've just had a few name changes over the years, but essentially the same group of guys, um, and and the same system. So they've owned all the Bushy Park hop farms. They um, and I think today they're, they're producing sort of 80% of Australia's hops. But uh, so that was 1975. I was three years old at that stage, and um, Dad was manager there until I think it was about 1980. And then uh, with a joint venture with SAB, uh, it was decided that the Ross family would move to South Africa, where we spent two years uh, improving the uh, yields of uh, the South African hop farms using lights and um, and a few other techniques. Nowadays, they've actually got uh, varieties which grow well in their climate because they're not ideally situated. Um, 
they're not sort of between 38 and 42 degrees north or south of the equator. So uh, they, they've actually got varieties now that, that, that are specific for that particular climate and, and doing fairly well out of those. But uh, we spent two years there and um, then uh, came back in 82. Dad spent uh, another four years, I think it was, with Australian Hop Marketers, as it was actually known then, um, just in sales. And um, then uh, I think they wanted us to move again. Dad said, no, okay. Uh, he then moved on from Australian Hop Marketers and within a few months um, Johannes Reiser himself came out to Australia and said I want you to start Hop Union Australia and uh, you'll actually be opposition to these guys now and uh, although it was opposition every, everyone's fairly friendly in the industry so it wasn't it wasn't like uh, you know there was uh, the knives were out or anything it was um, you know you have your customers I'll have mine and there's a little bit of competition out there, as there is today in the in the hop industry with um, with uh, with us and a few other uh, companies. And what was the hop market like in those days? You know, these days we've got dozens of hops available. Was it pretty much uh, POR, Pride of Ringwood, in those days, or what was the diversity like? At one stage during the 70s, I believe uh, Pride of Ringwood was one of the highest alpha hops that you could get. So Australian hops were fairly popular. Um, also, we had more independent growers back in the 70s. Um, eventually, you know, one after another, they would sort of fall off and go into growing something else. Um, and um, it was all about the alpha, because if, if you couldn't sell the hops for a certain style of beer, then those hops would be extracted into isohop or tetrahop or, or one of the downstream uh, extracts. And um, so, and today it's all about aroma hops. But if you can get a dual purpose hop that's high in alpha acid, as well as having some really good aromas, then um, you've got the best of both worlds. And if it's a good yielding hop, then every farmer will put up his hand and say, I wanna grow that hop. Um, but yeah, things have changed a lot in the last 30 years or so. Even back in 2000, when uh, you started Hopco, um, that's one of the we often say on Radio Brews News, you know, that, that was around about the time that Little Creatures came on stream and uh, really kicked along what we now know as the, uh, the modern craft beer movement, um, particularly with those signature um, cascaded Chinook hop aromas that they really popularised or really sort of uh, brought about. What was, in, in that first year or two of Hopco, what was your stock in trade? What were you selling back then? Um, Back in those days, uh, we um, they're, they're, we were doing some good deals with a couple of the independent farmers still in Australia. So we were selling a lot of Pride of Ringwood to uh, to Coopers. Um, we would um, we were selling um, in the early days. I think uh, a lot of when craft brewers um, first started, they would do usually around five different styles. Uh, they'd have a lager, a pilsner, a wheat beer, a stout, and a pale ale. And so for each of those beers, we'd find, um, you know, the, the pale ale would probably have US Cascade in it. The, uh, the, the stout might have maybe some East Kent Goldings or something from, from the UK. Uh, the, the wheat beer would have a, a German hop. And so we, we were seeing we might have had uh, maybe 30 or 40 different hops on our list. And, um, you know, the, the, 
the, the big sellers with it, the Cascades and the Goldings and, um, and the Australian Pride of Ringwood um, and the German Hallertau, um, those sort of varieties. Nowadays, oh, it's a whole new ball game. Um, when a new brewer comes on board, he's had some experience in home brew, he's done a brewing course, he wants to brew an IPA straight away. So he wants the Galaxy, the, the Nelson Savin, the, the Amarillo, the Simcoe, you know, all these big varieties that are really hard to get at the moment. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, the first few years of his, his brewing trade, it's all about the hops. Um, so, you know, back in 2000, it was more about having five different styles. And, and that's what also the, uh, the, the punter who had travelled a bit, that's what he was looking for too. He, if he went into a bar and there was five different beers there, none of them were imported, they're all brewed in Australia, he'd get a bit excited because he could have an English ale, he could have a German Pilsner, he could have a US Pale Ale, but they were brewed in Australia. And, um, and now with uh, the, the sort of the latest revolution in, in Pale Ales and IPAs, people go in and they don't want to try five different beers, they just want to go straight to the hoppy Pale Ales. <laughs> so yeah, th things have changed a little since then. Now, even though you grew up uh, with your dad involved in hops, and it sounds like you grew up very much in the hops, you didn't leave school and uh, go into hops yourself? No, no. Well, um, I was one of those kids that really had no idea what he wanted to do. Um, as soon as I finished year 12, I could have gone to university. I'm, I'm matriculated, so that was an option. Um, I decided to go into hospitality. did a year at um, the, uh, the Hospitality College in, in Hobart. A few of my friends were going there. I think that was one of the main reasons it sort of took me in that direction. And um, after one year, I thought, well, this is, this is kind of fun, but uh, not really what I wanted to do. So um, I drifted in and out of a few different sort of jobs. I did some retail for a while, um, worked in a, an electronics store, um, but always had a passion for cars. So eventually um, I decided to do a, a course in... Uh, automotive studies basically where you do your first year subjects for being a mechanic and an electrician uh, auto electrician and um, after that was hoping to get a job as, as either one of those but ended up as a panel beater and uh, I was actually on my way up to the hop fields in my father's car one early morning and uh, damaged his car and before he could actually uh, get it into the bodyworks he needed a new headlight, which I fitted myself and did a couple of other things to his car just to make it roadworthy again. And um, when he got to the bodyworks, the bodyworks guy said, oh, look, you've had somebody working on your car already. And, and Dad said, yeah, my son sort of patched it up for me. And he said, oh, you should send him in. I'll give him a job. And so for the next three and a half years, I worked as a panel beater. Got my ticket and then got the hell out of there. <laughs> it was, it was uh, you know, not the healthiest job in the world. Um, I've still got a bad back from those days. And, um, but, you know, having that trade under my belt means that, um, and yes, I'm still in the cars, I can, I can fix my own cars now. And um, so, yeah, with the beer and, uh, and, and my family, uh, yeah, my other passion is, uh, is cars. I still do a little bit of drag racing and things like that. Go, go the Valiant Charger, that's, that's my choice of weapon when it comes to drag racing. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, with uh, with me taking over from Dad as the uh, the owner of Hopco now, um, there isn't a lot of time for that kind of thing, and uh, it's it's mainly just work, work, work.
So where are we? 2000, very much those five styles of beer that you talked about. Um, we've seen an explosion of experimentalism um, where people are taking some of those self-same styles but we're starting to see hoppy hefeweizens and we're starting to see stouts that use non-traditional hops and uh, almost uh, you know black IPAs and uh, we're starting to see a lot of the Belgian beers start to develop some hop character. Um, where are we now with the uh, you know in, in terms of hops? Well um, I've seen a few people say things like oh the hop bubble's going to burst well, we usually follow the trends of America, and it hasn't burst over there yet. Uh, I, I really think we we may reach a sort of a, a plateau with our with our hopping, but um, I think there's still a lot of experimental sort of stuff that we can do. Um, you're right. There's so many different styles out there that, out there that we've sort of butchered and but actually come up with something really interesting. Um, you only have to look at some of the breweries doing sours now. You can sit down and taste five or six different sours that are, will just blow your mind. Um, and um, yeah, black IPAs, who would have thought that 10 years ago? Uh, there's a couple of really good ones out there at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't see the, uh, the love affair with hops ending anytime soon. Um, it, it'll, it will level out eventually, but uh, at the moment it's, it's, it, there's a, a fairly steady rise in, um, in what people are doing with their hops. You talked about the US, and that, that's one of the, uh, another one of the recurring themes we come, uh, that comes up on Radio Brews News is uh, there are some people who say, you know, point to the US and say it's ever-expanding, lots of hops, um, Australia will follow suit. But then there are others uh, that have come on and pointed out that yes, well, the US you know is a certain number of years ahead of us. They're also breaking ground in in a way, so it's much easier for everyone else to follow, and so we're we're catching up. But also in Australia, uh, the big brewers who are very slow to react in the US, um, and, and they they let the craft brewers really get out there before they started playing in the game. That's not so much here because the, the, the larger brewers have had the American experience and they started catching up much more quickly. Um, and whilst they are making hoppy versions, hoppier versions than we've become used to, they're probably not as hoppy as uh, some of the craft brewers are putting out there. So they're much more mainstreaming that, uh, that, that, that craft scene. But at the same time, in Australia, we have a different uh, excise regime than, than in the US where brewers are uh, punished for having higher alcohol beers, which tends to mean that the bodies tend to be a little bit lighter than some of the big IPAs. You can't have the alcohol, you can't have the malt body um, to carry some of those high hops. Um, do you think that we are gonna see a combination of those pressures, you know, large brewers are competing, um, excise and you know, a, a desire for brewers to bring in lower alcohol versions, um, seeing, and, and even just the Australian climate and the Australian palate, um, combining to see, you know, lower hop bills in, in Australian craft beers than maybe the, the, the really explosive growth of craft beer has uh, led us to think might happen? I think um, with, uh, with the excise laws, it, it does make it more expensive to, to be able to, um, to brew a, an 8.5% double IPA or something like that. But if it's a really good beer, then people will buy it, no matter what the cost. Um, 
if it's not such a good beer, then it's probably not going to be around for very long. And that particular brewer might go and concentrate more on something that, uh, that is a, a better seller and a better moneymaker for him. So that's why you, a lot of the time you'll see seasonal beers uh, just to sort of, they're like dipping their toes in the water, so to speak. Um, and, and if those seasonal beers take off, then they might become one of the core beers for that particular company. Um, but, um, uh, and we're also seeing, um, you know, some, um, some mid-strength beers coming out now that have, that have actually got some hop flavour. Um, with, uh, with the, will we see in Australia the mainstream brewers buying out some of the smaller guys? It's hard to know. I mean, uh, the, the two main companies in Australia, CUB and Lion, uh, each have their own sort of craft division. You've got um, Lion with the, the Squires range and you've got um, CUB with, uh, with the Matilda Bay range. And, and they are, they're throwing um, more and more sort of personnel into those areas to try and um, make their, their businesses more profitable, I suppose. I mean, the, the, the decline in mainstream drinking, they, they really have to. If, if they don't, then, then you know, they're not going to be around for long. Um, and it's, it's great to see because it, it's those beers that they're brewing, they're not as hoppy as, as some of your, um, you know, really sort of crafty craft beers. Um, so it's, it's sort of entry level for the, for the punter who's been sitting at the bar for, for years drinking the, the same beer, whether it be a, a, a 4X or a, a VB or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, he's now, or she, um, coming into something. That's a, a, a great point. We are seeing an increasing number of uh, women who have come back to beer or discovering beer for the first time yeah. um, because they don't see it as just a one-dimensional bitterness. They do seem to be finding that there is some genuine flavour that they're liking. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're liking the, the, the fruitiness that some beers offer. Um, uh, it would be great if my wife would start drinking beer because that would uh, make our wine bill a little bit lower. But, um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of girls out there that, uh, that are enjoying a beer now. And, and not just one style. It's... Um, you know, they, they might have traditionally just enjoyed a, a, a light beer with some a light flavour, but no, there's there's plenty of females out there that are drinking some of the, the heavy heavily hop beers, um, and um, and you know that that's great to see. So, keeping an eye on the, the future, obviously you're doing business planning and looking at what the next things are going to be in terms of hops. Where do you see? Uh, the, the biggest development in hops coming, or what do you think the emerging styles and trends? Um, it's it's sort of well, we, we travel, we go to conventions in other countries to sort of see what they're doing. Um, it's it's hard to keep up with the uh, the trends um, at the moment, though. We're um, we're struggling to get enough hops for the for the brewers uh, for the for the demand um, that that we have in Australia. So just. You know, trying to keep our head above the water um, with with the actual you know demands of our brewers is is our major sort of hurdle at the moment. Um, you know, the, each country with their sort of signature varieties, um, they're they're struggling to keep up um, you know with the with the demand as well. So we're only going to get a certain portion from from each country. They've got a they've got contracts all over the world. Um, and uh, you can only grow so many hops in a certain acreage. Um, 
We are. We do know that the uh, the popular hops are always expanding. They're they're pulling out some of the less popular hops, putting in more of the the popular hops. But um, um, there's not too many areas that can actually grow a full crop within the first couple of years. I know in the states in the Yakima Valley, for some reason their their climate is. Um, they can actually harvest in the first year, whereas in Australia and New Zealand it usually takes until the third year and even the fourth year before you're going to get a full crop. Um, so that's you know that's that's a long time to wait to actually make some money from a from a field. Um, but um, you know, the, who knows what's going to happen in the future? The the, the hop bubble. I don't think it's going to burst in a hurry. And I don't think it'll ever actually burst. It'll just sort of flatten out a little bit. Um, we're just going to do the best we can for the for the, for the brewers, and and hopefully not disappoint too many people with uh, with what we allocate and you know what we can't provide. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we've we've got something that can can fill the gap if uh, if they can't get the the signature variety that they want. And um, Um, yeah, um, you know, we, we, we want to make everybody happy. So, Do you think that there's going to be much uh, interest amongst craft brewers in extracts and you know, hop oils? Well, I think um, over the next few years, if the uh, demand for varieties like Citra and Nelson Savin and Amarillo and, and, and varieties like that, if it continues the way it's going, and and with the uh, the growth in uh, American and 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 UK breweries, and the growth here in Australia, if it continues, the 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 hop shortage for some of these varieties is going to remain fairly high. Um, extracts um, like your bittering extracts, I don't think you you're going to see craft brewers using those in a hurry, but um, hop oils. Um, Yes, there is there is a space for them in Australia. We've we 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 use um, a company in the UK called Totally Natural Solutions for our hop oils, and uh, they uh, their their products are great products uh, and combine very well with the hop bill just to add a little more flavour or a little more aroma in the final product. Um, Maybe just explain to us what the hop oils are. Well, they're, um, they're, they fractionate um, the hop to a point where they're just taking out the oil compound. Then um, they can um, separate that further into uh, different flavour profiles. Now, if you take a, a hop like Citra and take the oil from that and then... Um, then you know, using their special techniques, which they don't usually go into because they've all got sort of patents over their, their certain techniques, you can you can get a product that's it's just like basically dosing citra hops, but you're using a liquid form. Doesn't sound terribly crafty, I'm sure, to some of the listeners. Did it, are, are we starting to see as the craft brewing industry crashes up against the commercial realities of um, agronomics and? market forces and supply and demand and those sorts of things that this fierce uh, passion about say tradition traditional brewing methods is going to go by the wayside uh, and 
people are going to start seeing some of these extracts that maybe they would have preferred not to use five or so years ago? I, th I think, um, yeah, you're right. There's, there's a, a certain fear of the extract. Um, I, I also think, though, that um, some brewers may actually not have a choice in the end. Um, if they can only get half the amount of a certain variety then these products, and the, there's a reason they call themselves Totally Natural Solutions, is because they are very natural products. There's, there's no chemical addition. There's the, the way they make them is a very, very natural process. Um, and I, I think it's, it's the perfect opportunity. And um, you know, working with Colin uh, Wilson from TNS, uh, it's, he knows far more about this than I do, but uh, I've tasted some really, really nice beers that there's, there's no synthetic flavour or anything going on there. Um, they're, they're really good products. And uh, I think the, uh, the fear surrounding them is um, it's unnecessary. Um, I, I would prefer not to, um, not to see hops disappear um, because, I mean, that's what we're all about, selling hops. But as, as a combination, if you are short of a certain variety, these products work very well. Sandy Ross uh, from Hopco, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thank you very much, Matt. My pleasure. And that was Sandy Ross, a, a lovely guy and a you know, fascinating guy to talk to and find out a little bit more about the changes of the brewing industry that, that we've witnessed in Australia and also the, some of the people that have been around for a, a, a long time um, who have seen a few of the changes, just get their perspective. Now... Next week, it's my turn to be away. I'm going to be on a tropical island somewhere, uh, a nearby tropical island, not going anywhere too exotic. But uh, we won't be able to do a, pod, a podcast next week, so we'll probably be, uh, have a one-week hiatus, um, but we're not going to spoil our run of regularity of late. Um, we'll just take the one week off and get back to you with some great podcasts uh, soon afterwards. Um, thank you to everyone who has... Uh, sent letters. We've had some very interesting letters um, come in that we'll share with you when Pete and I next get together. And we've also had some great feedback to the Charlie Bamforth episode and the Pete Brown episode. So uh, thank you very much for, for those um, comments um, and we'll read some of those out. But it's just really nice to know that uh, those they were fantastic podcasts. They were ones that Pete and I enjoyed. And it was also great for Pete and I to be in the same room uh, and, and have a bit of a chat and we know that that makes it a lot easier and there's um, a much better flow for the conversation and uh, we are determined to try and make that happen much more often. Um, don't forget that you can uh, recognise or review us, let us know your comments um, by emailing us and we'll read them out on the next podcast but you can also uh, leave a comment on your favourite podcasting platform um, and even give us a review and help other people to find the podcast. Uh, Hope everyone had a great Easter and yeah, we look forward to, hope you enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to talking to you again very soon. Roll out the barrel, we'll have a barrel of fun. Roll out the barrel, we've got the blues on the run. Sing boom terrera, sing out a song of the cheer. Now's the time to roll the barrel. Again. Okay.